Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Good morning, Life Church. It's really good to see you here today. And as always, um, and I just, I'm thrilled, I'm honored to be able to get to share with you today. Uh, through the summer, we've been in this series called The Questions That Jesus Asked. And every week, we're kind of diving in, looking at, um, well, the questions that Jesus asked. We worked really hard on that title. Very, very creative approach. Um, but as you look through the scriptures, you see that Jesus asked questions all the time. And he didn't ask these questions to gain information, right? Uh, Jesus would use these questions to kind of drive home a point. And so in all these different situations and scenarios throughout the Bible, you see Jesus asking all kinds of different questions, which got me kind of thinking this week about just all the different types of questions that there are. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, like, for instance, there's closed questions. That just means there's a simple Yes or no answer, right? Example, Greg, did you drink coffee today? Yes, that's a closed question. Then there's open-ended questions that are kind of designed to kind of spur conversation, right? An example of an open-ended question would be, what makes art beautiful? You're like, we're gonna be here a while, right? That's an open-ended question, which by the way, you ever known someone who would text you open-ended questions? Drives me crazy. It's like, dude, I can't answer this. Like, I'm gonna be sitting here like typing a novel to try to answer your question. End up with these big muscle thumbs. And, um, but then there's leading questions. This is where you're trying to guide someone or steer someone into your point of view. Like, uh, example of that would be like, man, wasn't that movie awesome? Right, you're not asking, you're trying to get them to agree with you that movie was awesome. Uh, and Dave, Pastor Dave just did this to me last week talking about the Barbie movie. And uh, uh, I was like, no, it's not. He's like, yes, it is. There's rhetorical questions. Rhetorical questions aren't meant to be answered. They're just kind of there to make a point. One of the ones that we use all the time is, who cares? You're not really wanting to know who cares. You're just simply trying to make the point that no one cares, right? Uh, there's probing, clarifying questions. Hey, what did you mean by blank? And then there's trick questions. To me, trick questions fall into one of two categories. They're either, the first group is like designed to just make you look dumb. Uh, I'll give you an example. How many letters are in the alphabet? And you're like, easy, 26. And it's, I'd be wrong. How many letters are in the alphabet? There's 11 letters that make up those two words, right? So it's just designed, no other point, but to make me look dumb. That's all. That's, that's one set of trick questions. The other set of trick questions are just simply impossible to answer. And no offense at all, but you ladies are masters of this. Guys, you can attest, right? Maybe you're out with your wife or your girlfriend. She's like, hey, do you think she looks pretty? Well, 
I got to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. Um, or, hey, does this new dress make me look skinnier? Uh, yes. Always yes. Or my favorite, you walk in, what's different about me? And then you're just like scanning up and down, panicking. Uh, cut your hair. They're like, she's like, no, change the color of my toenails. Gotcha. Would it surprise you to know, though, that Jesus actually used trick questions? I want to show you one this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. This is the uh, well-known story called the feeding of the 5,000. John chapter 6, verse 1. It says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to a far shore of Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And then look at this verse. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So you have this, Jesus is kind of crossing, the, he's, he's on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, this huge crowd's kind of following him because of all these cool things that Jesus, these miracles Jesus is doing, and, and they're kind of away from kind of anywhere, like they're away from the towns, away from civilization. These people are out there, man, for, for days really just kind of following Jesus, and Jesus looks at him and says, man, where are we going to find something to eat? And it says he asked this to test them, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, when I first read this, I almost thought, man, this is kind of unfair. He asked Philip this to test him. He already knew what he was gonna do, but I'm like, Jesus, you're God. Like, you're 100% God, which means you're omniscient. You're all-knowing. And then there's us, and we're not that smart. He calls us sheep for a reason. But he asked Philip this question to test him, and he already knew the answer. And actually, as I started thinking about this, as you read throughout the Gospels, Jesus often asked questions that he already knew the answer to. He often did this, which makes me think, why? Why would Jesus ask questions that he knew the answers to? And as I started thinking about it, it kind of hit me that I believe Jesus did this to kind of create the space, create an opportunity for him to show his power. I believe he would ask these questions that he knew the answer to so he could create the opportunity to prove who he is and thus receive the glory. And because you see, I know for me, when I think I know the answer, when I think I know how to solve the problem, when I think I know how it's all gonna work out, I have this tendency to take all the credit. And I end up stealing and robbing the glory that belongs to God. 
And I think Jesus often would ask these questions that he knew the answer to. He knew what was gonna happen, but he asked the question anyways, and he did it to remind us that, listen, God always has the answer before the question's ever asked. We need to remember that. God always has the answer before the question's ever asked. So we asked Philip this question. Look at verse seven. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? I love this passage right here because you see the different personalities of the disciples, right? Philip, just he basically does absolutely nothing but starts crunching numbers. He's just sitting there like, if you add that, carry the one, multiply it, divide it. It's gonna take a whole lot of money. It's impossible. And then you got Andrew, who just immediately jumps into action. He's like going through the crowd. Hey, do you have any food? Do you have any food? Do you have any food? But here's the deal. They both came to the same conclusion. The situation was overwhelming, and what they had was insufficient. Can anyone relate? Have you found yourself in a situation that is overwhelming and what you have is insufficient? Or better yet, what situation do you, are you in today that's overwhelming and what you have is insufficient for? You see, the problem was too great for these five loaves and these two fish to solve. The problem was too great in the hands of the disciples. And I want you to hear me on this. Whatever we have to offer, whatever we bring to the table, it's always insufficient. And I hate to tell you that. I hate to break that news to you. But what we offer, what we bring to the table, it's insufficient. And we're for sure not told that. We're sure not taught that, right? The world tells us we're awesome, we're amazing. But the Bible tells us something very different. The Bible says we enter this world helpless. We enter this world hopeless. We enter this world sinful and broken. The Bible tells us that we're weak and we're lacking. Isaiah 64, six says, our righteous acts are like filthy rags. It doesn't say we're filthy rags. Listen, it says our most righteous act. That means, listen, the best part of me, the best thing that I can produce, my best little masterpiece is like a dirty, stinky, filthy rag. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short. And right now you're going, Greg, I'm feeling really encouraged today. I'm glad I came to church. Thanks a lot. But hear me on this. Even though what I have is insufficient, and in my hands, the problem's too great. In my hands, things become a mess. Man, our home lives become a mess in our hands. Our work lives become a mess in our hands. Our relationships become a mess in our hands. Our relationships become a mess in our hands, but here's the good news. Miracles always start with a mess. God's greatest works Start with the problem we can't solve. 
God's greatest moves is when he steps in because what we have is insufficient. Look back at the story. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Now, this is called the feeding of the 5,000. This is actually 5,000 men. So if you add the women and children, some scholars believe it could be upwards to 20,000 people. So he's got five loaves, two fish. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. And when they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. See, what the disciples missed was that the disciples were looking at this problem through the lens of what they could or could not do. They were looking at this whole situation through the lens of what they could or could not do. And guess what? We do the same thing all the time. We do the same thing all the time, and we miss the same thing that the disciples miss in the story. I wanna go back and look at verse five because what makes this question that Jesus asked Philip, what makes this a trick question is that the answer's found in the question itself. Look back at verse five, it says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Jesus did not say, this is, catch, catch this. Jesus didn't say, what are you guys gonna do? Jesus didn't say, hey, where are you guys gonna find enough bread? He said, where will we get enough? You see, look at the math. Five loaves plus two fish equals not enough. But five loaves plus two fish plus Jesus equals more than enough. And I heard one pastor say, we need to start making our me problems, we problems. We need to start making our me problems, we problems. That you see in this question, where, where are we gonna get enough bread? Well, I know the answer. We need to start making our me problems, we problems. You know who's good at that, by the way? Your kids, my kids. Remember my older ones, they started driving, and it's like, they get their first car, and you're like, hey, you need to, listen, there's things to do here. There's responsibilities. You need to change the oil, rotate the tire, change your air filter. Like, there's things you gotta stay up on. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they roll up to your house, and they're like, hey, the check engine light came on. It's making a bunch of weird noises. What are we gonna do? And it's like, got an imaginary friend I don't know about? What's this weed business? But here's the difference. Jesus wants us to invite him into the mess. Jesus wants us to invite him to be a part when the situation is overwhelming, right? When the problem's too big, he wants to be a part of our equation. 
First Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. I love this picture, this mental picture of a yoke. A yoke was this harness that connected two oxen together so they could share the load. And Jesus is saying, hey, come, attach yourself to me and I will make up for where you're lacking. I'll make up for where you're insufficient and get you through this. I love this word, that picture. He'll make up for what we don't have. And just like those five little loaves and those two tiny fish, God will take what we have, even though it's insufficient, even though it's inadequate, even though it's lacking, he'll take what we have and he'll multiply it and he'll stretch it until it's enough. But only he can do that. Only he can do that. Zechariah 4.6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. John 15, five, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, if you don't get anything out of the message today, get this, when we make Jesus a part of the equation, our not enough becomes more than enough. When we make him a part of the equation, our not enough becomes more than enough. I wanna shift gears and take a look at a different situation, different story, and really a different question that Jesus asked. And at first, these two may seem unrelated, but there's a really cool connection uh, that I wanna show you. We just took a look at the feeding of the 5,000. That's found in John chapter six. But I don't know if you know this, there was also the feeding of the 4,000. Um, and that's found in Mark chapter eight. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn over to Mark chapter eight. I'm gonna share this with you. And both of these stories, they're very similar. There's a lot of similarities, but there's also a bunch of key differences. I don't have the time to get into all the differences, um, but they are two separate events, even though they're very, very similar. Mark chapter eight, verse one says, during those days, another large crowd gathered. And since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. Verse four, his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Which is a fascinating question because literally the feeding of the 5,000 was not that long ago. And how quickly they forget. Verse five, how many loaves do you have Jesus said, seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves, he gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to distribute among the people, and they did so. Then he had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. And the people ate and were satisfied, and afterwards the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Very similar stories, right? You got this large crowd following Jesus because he's doing all these cool things. Man, they're out there for days, hungry. Instead of five loaves and two fish this time, there's seven loaves. And he feeds these people, there's basketfuls left over. But there's a very different question that Jesus asks. 
He asks, when the, when the disciples say, hey, where are we gonna get enough food to eat? Jesus, listen, don't miss this. Jesus looks at his disciples this time and says, how many loaves do you have? You see, Jesus didn't say, hey, go scrounge around through the crowd and see what you can come up with. This time, Jesus didn't tell Andrew, hey, go see if you can find another boy with a sack lunch. This time, he looks at the disciples and says, I want you to give up your own food. What, how many loaves do you have? And I don't know why God chose to do that. I don't know why he chooses why he, why he chooses to use what we have. I don't understand why he chose to use this boy or the disciples, honestly, in either story. Because he didn't have to. If you read the Bible, you know he could have made manna fall from heaven, right? And he could have turned stones into bread. That's what the Bible says. Jesus doesn't need any of us, but for some reason, he chooses to use us. In this situation, in, in Mark, he chooses now to use what the disciples have, even though it's insufficient, even though it's lacking. And I don't know why he chooses to use us. He doesn't need us, I can tell you that. But for some reason, God chooses to use what we bring him, even though it's inadequate. And he'll take what we do bring him. And here's the beauty and he breathes his breath of life into our little humble efforts, our little meager offerings. He breathes his breath of life into it and turns it into something that's more than we could ever imagine or hope for. Just like in Genesis 2, he takes this useless dust, this pile of dirt, he breathes his breath of life into it and creates man. That's what God does. He takes what we have that's inadequate, insufficient, and lacking, and he breathes his breath of life into it and turns it into something mind-blowing. That's the God we serve. And I can tell you this. I'm, I remind myself of this all the time. This morning, sitting on this front rows, we're worshiping. I'm reminded of this saying, God, listen, whatever I have to offer today, it's inadequate. What I have to bring it's insufficient, but God, you can do something with it. Whether I'm up here leading worship or teaching, I'm not worthy. I, I lack. If it's just me, you guys, it falls flat. You guys leave here hungry. Please know that for us in ministry, there is this incredible dependence. I am desperately dependent on his Holy Spirit and his anointing because without it, nothing happens. Without it, no one's changed. And I have nothing to offer without him. Back at Mark chapter eight, verse 17. This is an interesting end kind of this story. But this is where it kind of ties these two situations together. Verse 17 says, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, when I broke five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. 
And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? Which on, I'll be honest, man, on this side of it, on this side of history, on this side of the scriptures, you kind of look at that and go, man, how could they miss it, right? They were just eyewitnesses to Jesus feeding thousands of people with next to nothing. You think they would have all the faith in the world. And you think they would have all the confidence in the world because, hey, I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. But man, they just didn't get it. Church, I can tell you what has deepened my faith through the years, what has grown my faith through the years, is that there's been time after time after time after time where I've seen God step in and make up for my insufficiency. And where I have lacked as a husband, he's made up for. Where I've lacked as a father, he's made up for. Where I've lacked as a friend, he's made up for it. Where I've lacked as a pastor, he's made up for it. And even though what I have is insufficient, even though what I have is not enough, church, I freely give it to him. Because only he can take it and multiply it and stretch it and do something awesome with it. And I believe he's asking every single one of us here today that very question, how many loaves do you have? 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 And I don't know, I don't know what he's asking you to give up. I don't know what he's going to do with it. But I do know that's a question that each of us have to answer. How many loaves do you have? What he's really asking us is, hey, will you invite me to be part of the equation? Will you freely give me what you do have, even though I know it's not enough? And will you allow me to take it and multiply it and use it for my glory? How many loaves do you have? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that, God, you choose to involve us. God, you you didn't have to. God, you don't need us. But God, you choose to use us. God, you choose to use what we bring to the table, even though it's inadequate and insufficient. And God, I just confess, God, our absolute need and dependency on you. Lord, without you, our, Lord, the problems are too big. Without you, God, the situations are overwhelming. God, without you, Lord, our best effort, God, falls flat and short. So God, we just freely give you what we do have. I pray for every person here that they would just get to the place where they could just freely give to you what they do have. That God, you would then take it and do what only you could do, anoint it with your spirit, your power, and use it for your glory. God, I can't wait to see what you will do through what we bring you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. 
And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.